<laughs> so good. Okay, and we are live today. So we've got something a little different today. This is lifestyle medicine, but the guest today is in fact me. And this was not technically my idea. This was my dear friend Kai's idea here. So Kai had reached out to me. You had watched David's episode last week, correct? That was the one that you had, you had checked out. So Kai hit me up and he's like, hey man, I was really inspired by the episode, but I would like to turn the tables on you and interview you on your show as a guest host. And I laughed at the idea at first and then I couldn't, I actually didn't have guests. So it actually works out quite nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. This is so much fun. And it's really like, you're so inspiring me to start my own podcast. And so <laughs> this is just my way to get, get back at you, buddy. For sure. No, I, I will take it. And it's, uh, you know, it's welcome. So yeah, man, I'm going to turn the, the tables over to you. And uh, you are now technically the host of the lifestyle, host? host of lifestyle medicine for today. All right. <laughs> Well, you don't have to answer any questions you don't want to. So I've got definitely got some curveballs in here. All right, sounds good. Uh, all right, well, so so the first thing I just want to jump into is tell tell us a little bit about your path to the medicine. Path to the medicine. Oh boy, it like a lot of people, it started inadvertently. So I I started the whole path through martial arts. That was my my first exposure. I started studying Kuksul Do in Chico, California during my college years. I had always wanted to train formally. I had trained informally with my dad. He was a big Shotokan guy. And then I started studying formally at about, I think 20 technically is when I started. And so I started there and fell in love with the art. And my teacher, Chuck Duran, what an amazing, to this day, still one of the best teachers I think ever that I've come across. And when I started that, um, I loved the martial arts. I loved moving, but I had not made the connection that they were linked, that martial arts and medicine and Chinese medicine or, or any of these things had any kind of ties. I thought that was a completely separate entity and field. And um, when I was testing for my black belt at about the five, four or five year mark in Kuksul, I was sparring uh, in the headquarters school in San Jose and um, big guy, big Russian guy. And we clacked ankles really hard at one point during the sparring match. And I thought I broke my ankle. I've never broken a bone, but I thought, pretty sure I broke it. Like, so, like, ma like malleolus to malleolus or like the, yeah, the top totally. of the ankle? Or? Exactly. The, the medial, so medial to medial, oh, wow. inside, wow. inside ankle to okay. inside ankle. We both threw a kick and we both caught each other and we both fell. Like it was a, immediately both of us were like, ah, and everyone stopped and um, they thought, you know, oh boy, like someone might be really injured. Luckily, neither one of us were, but I thought I had broken. I couldn't move my ankle and it was stiff. And um, when that happened, the grandmaster, Chun Shik Yang, who's from Korea, who's old school, man. He's just, you know, hard, hard style Korean. Like he's just <laughs> very, very rough guy, but also very nice. But he walked over to me and he's like, boy, pick up your, you know, put your leg up here. You know, and he, he called me boy. It was hilarious, but put me up. And he put in uh, acupuncture needles and he had an acupuncture needle in my left wrist. He had one in my left thigh, one in my right arm somewhere, but he never touched my ankle. And I remember thinking, I've never had acupuncture, but what the hell is he doing? And he said, just wait here, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And he's like, and you should be good to go. He's like, it's not broken. And I was like, okay. And so I sat there for 15 minutes. The pain got worse during the treatment. And then at about the 15 minute mark, when I stood up, the pain was dropped by 90%. I mean, a vast majority of the pain was completely gone. And it was getting worse while I was sitting. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then when I asked my teacher, Chuck, I said, what, 
like, what just happened? He's like, well, he's like, you know, the, what you cultivate in the martial arts definitely has ties to like the medicine, the things you do. So that was where the seed first got planted. And then I didn't really touch the idea of jumping into this stuff until I got to Santa Cruz. I graduated college, started studying with all of those people in Santa Cruz, Josh Schneider, Adriana Gonzalez, Gabe, right. Ke- Gabe right. Kesselman, that whole, Stuart uh, Abel, you know, the whole crew of people that I knew um, that were there. I, I really liked them. I enjoyed their company. And then when I asked him one day, I said, what are you guys like? What is this? You guys are like machines. You train four hours a day, but you all are very high vibration people. Like, what's the deal? And they said, well, we're all, we're all students at Five Branches, the acupuncture university. And when they told me that, I said, okay, but what does it have to do with this? Like, what, what's the, you know, like, why does that matter? And they said, well, um, they echoed the same thing Chuck had said. And it was kind of that aha moment. They said, well, the martial arts and medicine share they're two sides of the, of the same coin. You know, it's yin and yang. Like the, the, yep. the therapeutic uh, medicinal side is the yin or the soft, receptive, intuitive side. And then the martial arts is the hard, yang, active, destructive side. And if you understand both sides, you're complete, quote unquote, as right. a practitioner. And that was pretty much at the time where I quit my job, signed up for five branches, and yeah. the, rest yeah. is, the rest is history. Yeah, it's very romantic the oh, idea of going to Ch- going to Chinese medicine school. I mean, for you, sure. so you're, you, what you're telling me is you're basically like the real life Karate Kid, and <laughs> you, you had a Mr. Miyagi and Chico, and then that's I totally I, did. That's what I got. All right, so, uh, we're gonna circle back to that. I yeah. love I love hearing that. I think people were, were good to hear the full story. Sure. Um, so I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to just share a little vignette and then I want you to like riff on it. So I don't know. Were you at five branches when Heiner Fruhoff spoke? Yes. Okay. So I just remember one thing that he said, it's a room. Imagine this, everyone, you know, it's a room, like a hundred people in the room, standing room only this famous Chinese medicine professor who is actually German, who speaks Chinese, um, was a scholar and then became a doctor. And he's at our school and he's, he's, he's standing in the room and he says, if, and Gray, you have a different recollection, but it's something to the effect of if you're bored by this medicine, then your teachers are doing something wrong. That's right. Because because this medicine is so full of myth and metaphor and beauty. Yes. And if, if you feel bored, then your teacher has lost their way. And so yeah. what I what I what I want to ask you is you and I have talked probably one of our deepest connections is that something has been removed from the medicine. And I want to just talk a little bit about what is it that you feel has been like lost and what's it cost the medicine when you remove certain aspects of it, the aspects that you're more passionate about that we'll get to in a couple of questions. But what's been lost? It's a great question. And I'm going to preface this by saying that obviously in the, in the scheme of Chinese medicine, I'm still a fledgling, you know, like I'm still, a, I still feel like I'm a baby. Um, and I've only been out of school for five, six years. That said, I think the thing that, that has been lost or the, the thing that has been most disconnected is for lack of a better term, and I'll define this a little bit, but the spirit of the medicine, which is the, oh gosh, I guess the, the relevance and importance of the immaterial. And this is a conversation I've had with a lot of people around a lot of different areas. But when we look at, we look at the, like we look at reality, we have matter and energy. And I think the energy, which is emotion, the things that we cannot put into a box, like where are emotions? Where are these immaterial things that we experience and feel and that are a part of life and we live life from, but we cannot grip, we cannot grip and get a hold on. We can't put it into a box. And I think with Chinese medicine, I think there, I think it's become 
at least at the mainstream level. There are classical guys like Heiner Fruhoff um, and Jeffrey Yuen and people that are doing it. But I think at the mainstream level, which is what happens with this kind of stuff, is that it's become a little mechanistic, which is what uh, you and I talked about in school, which was the cookbook Chinese medicine, where it's point prescriptions, which I, for me was always the antithesis to artistically crafting um, a, a plan, a therapeutic plan for someone. Not that point prescriptions don't work or that they don't have merit. I think they really do. But that was that was the only way we were taught to to get through the test, which was this person has this syndrome. You push these buttons to make that syndrome go down. But there was no elegance um, in terms of the larger the larger components that that may be at play with this. You know, it, I think it was like we would talk about it. There was pathology for sure. Like you know, there's heat, there's cold, there's dampness, there's dryness. But I felt like that. I had the feeling while I was in school, where's the elegance? Where is the art, the art in this? And not so much the mechanistic linear sort of rendition of Chinese medicine. I was really, um, I, I struggled with that and I know you did too, but I think that's been the, the piece that's, that's missing. And I think when I met people like Heiner Fruhoff, I started to see when they were talking about, you know, they're like 12 constellations, you know, and it relates to these 12 specific vertebrae in the spine. There were, there were so many, uh, larger macro cycles that classical Chinese medicine was able to make connections to mm-hmm. where organs relate to constellations or vertebrae relate to constellations or these parts of our body that relate to the natural world. And I feel like a lot of that stuff is lost. We're kind of taught like these herbs are good for, you know, uh, to thin the blood for cholesterol problems. It felt like it had become kind of westernized, Eastern medicine. And I think for me, that's the kind of the piece that's been lost so far. I mean, there's more to it than that, but I think that's the big one that I always struggled with. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I think is, well, first of all, what I love about the medicine is like, like I had a professor before I transferred into five branches and he would straight up say, look, this medicine can be practiced in a super mystical esoteric way. And he said, and he said, I'm just telling you right now, I'm a piss and shit doctor. (laughs) <laughs> like, I want to know what does your pee look like? I want to know what your poop looks like. I want to see your tongue. That's all I care about. And, yeah. but he said, don't think that that's the, the limitation of the medicine. That's my choice to practice that way. Uh-huh. And I, I think that's, I think people that look at Chinese medicine from the outside, it's really hard to pin down because on some level, it's so rational. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's too much heat. Cool it. There's too much dampness. Dry it. Right. It, it looks like, a, you know, it looks like a walnut. It looks like a brain. It's good. It's got omegas, you know, fatty acids. It's good for the brain. Yeah. And then and then you've got like emotions and tonine and constellations. It, and it goes so far out. It does. And anyway, and I, I think that's why you can study your whole life and never really um, finish ever. In there. Agreed fully. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the beautiful part and also the daunting part of it, at least for me, is that you're never really going to hit it. You're never really going to get it all. There's just this, I get to brush elbows with this for a portion of my life and then I'll get as much as I can. And I'm going to, you know, be passionate about what I do get, but also keep in mind that there's a lot I don't get. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing you touched on in there, which is where I was headed, is um, what's the relationship between beauty and art and healing for you because mm-hmm. you have a you have an art background and yeah. and kind of what has been lost is the artistic side of the medicine the metaphorical the 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 you know so yeah what's that connection yeah beauty art and healing i think it's i think it's 
I think it's really powerful. And I think this has become distilled down for me more through working with Lillian Bridges. Lillian Bridges, for the people listening, if you guys haven't heard me talk about her, she's my face reading teacher. And she's amazing. And it's a whole branch of Chinese medicine. And one of the, the points that she brought home to me, and she said, food nourishes the, the body. It nourishes the jing and also the chi of the body. And she said, so the body has to take in sustenance. She said, but when it comes to spirit, the sustenance of spirit, of, um, the sustenance of spirit isn't food, it's beauty. Beauty is the sustenance or the caloric intake for the spirit. So the immaterial thing that um, the stuff we can't see, we can't measure, is actually nourished and uplift, uplifted by beauty. And I think when that when that hit me, beauty is soul food, quite literally. Like it's that's what that's what it does. So I think for me, there's always been a question and also sort of a striving for it. Once we've realized this, you know, we have the body, we have energy, and then we have spirit, right? Jing Chi Shen, and you can approach the medicine from these all these different layers. Some people are really in the Jing spectrum. Some people are sort of in the energetic breath Chi spectrum. And I think for me, my natural gravitation has been towards that immaterial piece to a degree. I like that, um, the idea of spirit and cultivating spirit. So I think in the inclusion of beauty in like feng shui, when we study Tai Chi, if it's done right, it's beautiful. I mean, we, mm-hmm. no one would argue that watching Tai Chi in motion is beautiful. It's not ugly when it's done right. It's really, really pretty. And so I think that does something to us. And I think when it moves us and it gets us uh, fired up and we feel that, that passion and that, that, that feeling that can't be measured, that's just felt. It's that temporal thing where an emotion comes through. I think that that's, um, I think it's really important. I think that's sort of what inspires and keeps the passion alive. And I think discipline actually is kind of a byproduct of that because I've had people say to me, oh, great, you're so disciplined in this one area. And I said, well, I really enjoy it though. You know, so it's not really, you know, people have this association that, that you're doing something, you know, and it sometimes it is that, right? You have to do something you don't like, but when people see discipline in me in these certain areas, I said, it's, well, it's because I enjoy it. You know, there's a beauty to it. There's mm-hmm. a, there's an elegance of spirit that really calls to me. And then I'm stoked and it becomes easy. People that do th- yep. that are in the gym, weightlifters, you know, who just love it. They love moving iron and that's just, yeah. that's their, that's their gung fu. You know, that's, yeah. they're, they're in there and it's not hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I've been playing with is the, you know, with my clients and with myself is like being motivated by ple- the pleasure of something rather than the pain of not doing it. Like yeah. as I get older yeah. um, and, you know, for a long time, like I picked my first Tai Chi teacher, not because I thought his form was beautiful but because he was a beautiful person. He was a kind, mm. humble person. Um, and then later I realized I actually, there's other forms that are much more attractive to me and feel way better in my body. Yeah. So it's, it's just interesting. And I think yeah. I, I always tell people when they ask me what martial art to study, I said, you know, find a good teacher who teaches a style that you also find beautiful yeah. and like is really good in your body because mm-hmm. there's so much available, you know, so I, cu- I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. So you, you went right where I was going to take us anyway, which <laughs> is like, um, you know, you've heard that there's like Yang Shin, Yang Shun, Yang Sheng. So this is like nourishing your your spirit or your consciousness. There's nourishing your destiny, and there's nourishing life, right? Which is like the Jing Qi Shen of this nourishing practices. Yeah. So 
I was just gonna I was just saying that um, you know, tell us a little bit about face reading and how it reveals a little bit of our destiny or our our life experience and also what's like innate. How much of it is how much of it can we paint on our face in terms of the the emotions we hold and how much of it is the the essence we've come in with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when you look at the face, the thing you have to remember is that uh, the face is a holographic representation of your life terrain. So when Chinese medicine says that the spirit or the shun comes through the face, it right. beams out like a laser beam and the shape of our face will kind of change the aperture of that light. It's almost like a, like a laser beam, right? It's like different, a different face contours are going to emit light differently out of this face. So we do to a degree, right? Like genetics, we have some certain things that are just going to be hardwired into us. Our bone structure does say something. Our, the shape of our nose does say something, but these features are also not a hundred percent static. And this is why our features continue to age as we get older. If we look at our grandparents and they have much bigger ears when they're older and their nose continues to grow, it's because as we go through life and our emotional terrain changes, these, these, you know, these shapes basically continue to grow just like a landform, right? Like a garden continues to, to grow, right? As long as it's not wiped out. So when we're looking at the face, like you can definitely change wrinkles on the face, the shape of your face will absolutely change depending on the choices that you take. And there's a couple real time uh, examples of this that I've seen. So <clears throat> I studied uh, Kaji Kempo very briefly in Tung Shudao. was not long, which is for the people listening was a very um, aggressive, hard hitting style where you took, you get, you, took so you get punched in the stomach, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, you get, or, yeah. And, <laughs> and you throw up. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. Okay. I threw up a lot of times in the mornings from the workout and yeah, people are dropping, you know, heavy medicine balls in your stomach. Guys are punching you in the gut. There's multi-man exercises. It's very intense. And the guys before I was into face reading. Okay. But the people that had been doing Kaj for say, I'd say three plus years, all of them, when you looked at pictures of them from before and after, and this is true with Josh Schneider, who did a lot of Kaj, their facial structure changed. Every single one of them, their faces got, it looked like the faces got longer. Like their bone structure actually looked like the space from the cheeks to the bottom of the jaw had lengthened some. So, which is a, which is a wood element feature when things get longer this way, like a tree, right? Like a vertical pillar growing. It's a lot of wood energetics, which is a lot about what happens with the liver. And so... Kaj, which was a very fiery, like, like, you know, very <laughs> fucking intense fighting style, really coursed and moved the liver quite a bit and sometimes even stagnated it. And so people's bone structure would change. And I talked with Josh about this and I thought, I said, why, why, what do you make of these bone structures changing? He's like, all I can think is that maybe there's some kind of hormonal response and something shifts. And so that always kind of stayed with me. And then as I was learning with Lillian, she said, yeah, your features absolutely will change. People that have weak jaws that go into CEO positions, the bones and the meat and the muscle here will actually get fuller, which is a sign of like, you know, grit and determination. So our choices and what we do with life will change the shape of our face. The face will get um, firmer, tighter, looser, depending on what we do. And that's not good or bad. Some people that are really hard edged people when they have children, they get a lot more earthy and they get softer and rounder and just a little more teddy bear-like, you know, and that's part of what they needed. So it's not, um, it's good not to put judgment on how the face changes, but changing it means that you're living life and it's going to show up. And wrinkles do go away. People that have problems with diet and uh, sometimes like the early signs of Jing depletion or it's starting to like, you know, tap on their on their constitutional essence, they change their lifestyle. These, these wrinkles start to shift. They start to go away. 
So it's mm. it's it's both. You know, you have some static pieces, but it can definitely adapt and move. Yeah, I, I mean, what I what I love is like so so, you know, on a superficial level, an acupuncturist is out there practicing and helping people with tennis elbow and with sore lower back, and yep. it it can get really far from the root of the medicine, which if you look at the ancient, you know, texts, it's like the job of the Chinese medicine practitioner is to bring people back into their highest life path. Yes. It's to like put yeah. them on the path of their destiny. And so then face reading, which is, is like, like life reading is really the same thing as the medicine is. It's just another part of the medicine. So yep. I'm, I'm super grateful that you are keeping those traditions alive um, because I think they're really important and we're, we're losing no matter how well you study from Lillian and, and people study from Jeffrey UN, it's pretty safe to say every generation we're losing a ton of esoteric sciences that could be helping us. So yeah, thanks for keeping that alive. For oh us. yeah, absolutely, man. Likewise yeah. to you, you know, all the work yeah. you're doing, same. Okay. So now I want to do something practical. Yeah. So what, so, so you, you practice feng shui, which is yep. kind of like reading the energy of the, the environment. Yep. What would you, what is the most basic, give me three basic things that most people could do to improve their feng shui of their environment. You know, you know, I'll yeah. just share this too. Yeah. Amateo, Amateo posted something the other day on Facebook where he said, uh, a mutual friend of ours said that every, I, I think I tagged you in it. He said, everything that you can control in your space, optimize it for your most, your highest level of showing up because yeah. control what you can control in yeah. your immediate space. I thought I was really inspired by that. So. Yeah, absolutely. So your question, just to go back to it though, was, um, three things that people can that, be, yeah, that they can be doing. I would say first and foremost, you know, and my answer would have been different a few years ago, but it's, it's, you know, where it is now. First and foremost is, um, one of the basic questions, okay, is, is a, it's a five element question for our environments. First things first, at an intuitive level, ask yourself, which of the five terrains are you most drawn to? So when we talk about fire, earth, metal, water, and wood, these five elements, when we talk about fire environments, we're looking at dry climates, places like Arizona, things like that. That would be considered a dry climate. So the dry, hot environments, fire, earth, okay? We're looking at grasslands, open open places where you could plant, plant agriculture. So we're talking rolling meadows and hills. Foothills is kind of like an earth terrain. Metal, okay, we're looking at high mountains, Mountain towns, like where you know where where you have lived, uh, you know Idlewild, something somewhere like that. That's definitely a metallic territory where we're getting into like snow and elevation and high metal, mm -hmm. water, ocean streams, rivers, and then wood. We're looking at forest terrain, like you know uh, redwoods and these things where the, where there's dense and shade canopy from the trees. So ask yourself first and foremost, out of the five element terrains, which ones do you feel most aligned with naturally? Where do you feel immediately just, oh, I want to be there. I love dropping into places like this. I love going to Sedona. I love going to Santa Cruz. Find a place like that. And when you identify, okay, like one or two, usually there's like two that you're most drawn to. And I would say pick the top two. That gives you a marker for the type of elements that you need in your environment. So if you are immediately like, I love high altitude mountains and water, this means being open to the idea of having mountain imagery in your home, having, um, incorporating blue tones into your environments that represent water. So sort of like identifying the elements and, and cause we have to, 
we have to amplify what we are and what we're drawn to. That's like, so step one was like, identify that, find out what you can do. Two, remove clutter. <laughs> so minimize clutter to, that's a pretty standard one, which mm-hmm. is, uh, which you and I have talked about this, this definition, which I think I may have even picked up from you or someone who you were studying with or you turned me on to, but that, yeah. those basic three questions, you know, is it, yep. is it uh, functional? Is it beautiful? Do I love it? Yeah. You know, if, yep. you, if you say yeah. no to two out of those three, it's clutter. If yep. you say yes, yep. Right. It's functional and it's beautiful. Dude, it's... That was that was Marie Kondo before Marie Kondo was famous. It wasn't from her; it was from someone else. But it was the same idea. Fully does it does it spark joy? Yes. You know, like such a it's it's all that's about the Shen. You know, like is it beautiful? Does it spark joy in who you are? If not, what what the fuck? Why do you have it? Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. So the um, and the third one to that, you know, so if we talk about, um, you know, identify the elements the clutter and then aim to make your environments beautiful. And that goes for men and women and everyone in between that, that, that beauty is, you know, it's spirit is spirit, you know, sustenance for the spirit is sustenance for the spirit. So making environments beautiful. And what that means is the inclusion of art. It means actually using color. So it, it means using your environments artistically, make your environments a template for you to explore how to make them beautiful. Because I think what, what I've learned is people, we can get really hung up in the schools of feng shui, this compass direction, and that has merit and value, but I think it's better to work with a, like a consultant if you're going to do that. If you're an everyday person, I think these three parameters are far better. You know, no, I, I identify your element, clear the clutter and make it beautiful. And if you do that, life in your spaces is pretty nice. Yeah, I love that. I remember this moment, just a, a side note, I, I was I was in Boulder and I met up with Josh um, yeah. and we're, we're like, at, we're at an ATM, we're about to go to dinner and I just, I'm looking at the mountain and Josh comes up and puts his arm on my back and, and I said, I said, Josh, man, I, I love these mountains so much. And he goes, yeah, of course you do. And I said, why? Like, why do I love the mountains? He goes, because the mountains are stable. They're, they're, they're slow, they're stable. They grow over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And it's like, Kai, you're Shaoyang, you're dynamic. You like, (laughs) like the ocean drives you crazy. It's too much movement, you know, like the mountains are still. And I was like, oh my God. Cause I literally can remember in some of the most depressed moments of my life before I was awake really at all. And I would get, I would get to the mountains and I would just feel this sense of relief of like, I don't care of all the stuff that's going on. Look at that mountain, dude. Look yeah. At, super grateful for that. Well, I think it was you, wasn't it you who mentioned, I think this is one of your descriptors when you, when you've talked to me in the past about your ideal spot for living. I think you said where you're, you're like, I don't, if I'm in town, I want to be able to look up and to see a mountain. I want to be able right. to see like yeah. a, a big, like Mount Shasta. Like when you're in town of Mount right. Shasta, you can look up and you see giant see. Mount Shasta. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's that's what's crazy about Idlewild. It, it's already six thousand feet up, uh-huh. and and then you're sitting in the town and you're looking at the San Jacinto peaks, like they're all up another degree. You can oh, see them wow. from town. It's just it's so beautiful. Like another friend lives in in, in a different range of mountains over in Big Bear and uh, Lake Arrowhead, and it's totally different. You're in the mountains, but you can't see the mountains. Right. And Idlewild is like you're in the mountains and you see the mountains, and that's like that is just like. So anyway, yeah. We can, yeah it's, well, one one quick side question, and this is just this is just a side tangent question, and we can kind of get back onto it. But you, how long technically have you had your spot in Idlewild now? Almost four, going on almost four years. Okay, and 
do you remember when we were in school and Kevin Zhu was asking us about, um, he said, you know, identifying which elements you were deficient in your body by the uh, natural disasters that you were scared of? He said, like, if you're on, if you're on the uh, West Coast, you know, like earthquakes are a thing. Yeah. On the East Coast, you know, you've got like tornadoes and you've got things. Mid- right. Midwest, you've got these things and there's fires in some areas. Right. And I know, was it a year, two years ago when Idlewild had the big, they had some fires up there. Yep. Yep. And I'm curious because when I've heard this from people, when they've lived in a place and a fire does come through, the reality of the fire, you know, being in proximity to the town and whatnot usually is sort of destabilizing in some way. And I was wondering if your relationship to Idlewild pre-fire and post-fire was different? Oh, man, it's a great question. Well, first thing, the, the thing I'm most afraid of is, is tidal waves. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I don't want to live on the coast. I just feel yeah. like yeah. at any time, this is a huge earth. It's, it's, it's adjusting, it's yep. adapting. Yep. And I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like it's respectful to live at the coast. That's yeah. just my, my vibe. But yeah. um, in terms of Idlewild, bro, it was a real destabilizing experience to have to evacuate. Um, the fire was super close to my house. The, 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 in, in the main part of Idlewild, it, it's crazy. Something like 40 some thousand acres burned. Wow. But, um, the, 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 the four houses that burned were all like less than a mile from my house. They were, it was all right there. Anyway, it's taken me a long time. And that sacred spot that I would go to practice and do ceremony that got burned. That's where the oh, fire stopped. Wow. So those trees are all uh, gone. They're wow. burned. So um, it's been a process of of like falling in love all over again, and like kind of it's almost like it's almost like having a, a partner cheat on you. Yeah. But you forgive them, and you, you and you start to slowly go right. back into intimacy. Right. Wow. So I was, if it was up, yeah. I was just if curious. Was, yeah, I was just curious about that. Yeah. If it was up to me. Last time I did ceremony and really, you know, what came to me is like, um, we, you've got to ride out the events of this lifetime somewhere. Yeah, you do. And, and, right. and every, everywhere has great things and it has challenges and there's fires in Northern California too. Yep. And, it, and what, I, what came to me was, you know, Idlewild's as good as any place. Yeah. And it looks like, and we'll get back on track here, it looks like with the way, uh, climate change is going, the winters are going to get colder and longer yeah. and wetter in, yeah. in, in Idlewild. Mm. That's what's, that's what's predicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the summer's hotter and it's, it's an, it's almost an extra month of heat. Uh-huh. So basically July, August is like in the eighties and nineties, uh-huh. but the winter's supposed to be, we've had the three wettest winters, um, the last, over the last four years. Oh, wow. And this, this winter's predicted to be the, a, a wet, cold, long winter. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, so whether it's good or bad for the world, it's good for me personally in Idlewild to have a longer, wetter winter. Yeah. You know, yeah. as a, just a side, just addition to this, you know, um, Sacramento this summer was abnormally cool, which is not typical. Sacramento is really hot. Like it's all, we get, we get, you know, usually a couple weeks, it's days, you know, 14 days or 15 days spread out of 106, 108, 109 and it just didn't happen this summer. We had a couple yeah. of days and collectively it's cooler and it's just getting cooler faster here. It's very weird. Yeah. But you can it tell is. something is something is afoot. Something's cha- yeah. Well, one last thing, you know, uh, Greg Braden was in an interview on London Real, this mm-hmm. this interview show. And he was talking about uh, both the scientific perspective and the indigenous perspective. And both of them say climate change is happening and it's natural. 
Yeah. Yes, yes, man, man can influence it, but not in a huge way. Yeah. Like it's 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 already happening, and he's not saying to ignore it. He is, you know, he was saying like yeah. we need to get we need to get into renewable energy while yes. we still have while we still have oil left to transfer to the technology. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we need our fossil fuels to establish renewable energy because everything works on fossil fuels right now. Yes. So he's saying use the remaining fossil fuels to get off of fossil fuels, right? Right. right. And and just instead of um, fighting global warming, prepare for global warming. Like it's climate change is going to happen. Where do we want to live? How do we want to be living? How do we want to relate ourselves to it? Yeah. That's what he said. It's a really good one if you want to check it out. No, that's so. great. That's great. And I would I would agree with that whole sentiment because I think yeah I think. They've done those studies of, of just even the what they found in the ice from twenty five thousand years ago. That right. they, they find right. these periods where, yeah, there there weren't there wasn't a coal industry back then, and the planet warmed up something fierce. So yeah. there's some larger cycles that I think people, I don't know, it's, a lot of people don't buy that though. You know, they're like, no, it's just all us. And I'm like, well, you know, I disagree. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it's a it's a big topic. I mean, another one is is also like, you know. The, the ability of humans to affect the weather through prayer, through intention, fully through through um, biodynamic agriculture, like certain mm-hmm. agricultural practices can call rain to certain areas it's like like terra farming. Basically, yeah. we, there, there's a level of ability that we have to naturally influence the weather on this planet in mm-hmm. a positive way. So yeah. anyway. OK, Love it. so. All right. So next next thing I want to turn to is. Um, for a long time. I only practiced Qigong yeah. and I only practiced healing forms. And you were one of the first people in my life that said, hey, I don't care what martial art you do. I mean, I had done Tai Chi. I had done Tai Chi as well. Mm-hmm. I'd done Tai Chi as well. Yeah. But I never really trained a more yang martial art. And you were the first person to say, Kai, I don't care where you go or who you get it from, but it would be super valuable for your masculinity for your decisiveness to train in some martial art and I did and I'm grateful to you for that yeah and when I look back so I wanted to ask you when someone just practices qigong as healing forms like spring forest or supreme science or whatever it is mm-hmm. what is lost when they don't do a martial art or what what's added when they take on a martial practice in addition to the healing practice yeah you you asked it well because there is something lost and then there when they do add it there is something gained fully and i think when we met i had i had sort of accepted what i i think is a is a reasonable truth that what you just said is accurate i was i was i had gone through that because i was a lot like you especially in my early training days when i was studying a martial art i i was in that mindset so if you if that makes sense i was studying kuksul do and I had this idealistic thing in my mind where I, I was like, I just want to do the forms, but I don't want to really focus on the application of hurting people. And I stayed with that. And um, just to give context to this, it started to bite me in the ass. I started to see just very real discrepancies in how I was moving for one. And then if I was put into a real-time sparring application, my timing, everything was off because I was, I was, I wasn't adhering to the reality of what's required to defend oneself. So I think, I think what's lost is that the thing that we we forget is that when you study therapeutic healing arts, like you have qigong on one end of the spectrum, right? You have on this side, 
the healing restorative aspect of, of the arts. And then as you move that spectrum up and cross over into this other side, we move into the yang destructive application of explosiveness. And there's a, there's a, there's a spot in martial arts that's fully destructive. And you've got this restorative and destructive thing that's happening. And if the common ground that these two things share in the middle are these, these biomechanical alignments, that there's a certain structure that the body holds. So if you're practicing for health, you're still going to adhere to these biomechanical alignments that are in the middle. And if you're going to do martial arts, you still have to adhere to these biomechanical alignments. And so the middle ground, I always say, are the alignments. It's the structure. A knee goes over this angle in any capacity, whether you're weightlifting or just doing Tai Chi is not going to be as good for the joint if you adhere to this idea. So I think it's sort of like if you're only doing the healing side, you can still have like good structure and you can still have um, you know, healing application, but you're also, mi you're missing a spectrum of, of expression. If you want to go through and put your body through the gamut of exploration for true polarity health, which is what yin yang is about, hard and soft, if you don't touch both, you're only playing with half of the spectrum. A and not, not to say that you can't spend most of your life in that spectrum, but for well-roundedness in terms of just life and understanding, right? Life isn't all hard and it's not all soft. It's not all male and it's not all female. It's not always daytime. We have night and day. So I think it's when we touch the martial arts, for one, we get the full yin-yang exposure and understanding because when we, I think when we train martial arts, there is something that happens in terms of the mindset, the speed and the reaction time that has to be present that isn't present often in Qigong. Qigong, you could be totally introspective with your eyes closed and moving your arms and tuning into really subtle energetics. And that's really important. It's a really valuable skill. But in the context of martial arts, when you're moving and bouncing, the reaction time is way faster and it puts you into a spot where you have to adapt and react to the foundational things you've put into your body. It makes you play with them in a completely new way. And it also takes out a lot of the, f the fluff of like, oh, if I just intend with my energy to hold this while someone's pushing, that I'll be fine. And it's like, yeah, that's part of it. But if, if your hips, angles, and knees don't line up to withstand that force, you're going to tip over. So it cuts that out very quickly too. Yeah. There's a lot of structure that we can hold in Qigong. Um, and I think actually like people, miss, they, they, they don't understand or they misinterpret the translations too where you can hold a posture and do all these things. And if you come up and just put a little bit of pressure, the, the structure falls over. And so the Qigong that I always like, and when people approach it from that way is, is there some kind of muscle testing to the process? When you stand, if I come push on you, even if it's lightly, do you immediately tip? Does the body inherently have some kind of structure? And I think the martial art exploration facilitates that something fierce. So if you don't touch that, I think you, you miss out on a whole spectrum and speed and adapt, adaptability that can be really good for you. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's what's lost. And when you add it, when you add the martial arts, you get all that stuff. You, you get yeah. the exposure. And I think the mindset's very different. I think the yeah. mindset is fully, uh, one of the things Tim Cartmel has said that was really simple. He's, drives, he's driven home some of these themes for me, but he said, before you get into it, if, if you're going to get into a physical confrontation, one of the things he said, the first things you do is you bring the weight to the balls of your feet. He said, that's just first and foremost. If you know a confrontation is coming, you've got to bring the weight to the balls of your feet and not to your heels because that when you're on the balls of the feet, you're in a yang position and you can spring, right? Like, 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 
boxers. They bounce on the balls of their feet. They don't bounce on their heels. You know, you can't bounce on your heels. He said, so before anything even happens, your mind has to be in the right spot just to start the confrontation. You've got to be, you've got to be in that right state of mind. And he says, and how you do that is just, you know, bringing the weight to the balls of your feet. And I thought that that's an awesome metaphor for a lot of different things. It's like, you can't just stand in one position. You have to orient your mind prior to engaging. And I think mm-hmm. that's what the martial arts trains. It gets your mind primed and ready to yep. adapt and go in and move forward quickly when needed. And that's just a, that's the cool thing about, I think, martial arts in general. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. So many gems in there. And it's like, you know, I, I was, I was, I said it to you before, maybe even when we were, I had our last uh, podcast here, but I was saying that I've, I've recognized in the last couple of years in, in working with people that are not necessarily invested in learning martial arts, mm-hmm. that the value of learning a, a form that has some martial aspect is that it teaches you how to run the aspect of your nervous system that's fight or flight, that's attack, yes. that's get, get shit done, while, while simultaneously holding a central equilibrium and a point of relaxation. Yeah. And there's very few things in life that teach you to do both of those at the same time. Very few things. Yep. You know? So yeah, I love that. The other thing I, I learned from you that I've, I've, I've come to see is that there are certain things in this world that we can argue argue house go home come home and mm-hmm. and and then it's so it's such a relief that there's truth so you practice chinese medicine and you have this style of shangham loon and i do piwei loon i do the stomach spleen school well great who gets the patient better i don't care about your philosophical <laughs> ideas like yeah great i don't care i'm happy if the shangham loon formula cures this person sweet and if, if, if it's a, if it's a, a spleen stomach formula, great. Yep. If someone else has them do breath work, great. Yep. But the bottom line is we, we get to look back to the truth of our art, which is the results. Yes. And in martial arts, you have sparring. That's a truth. In Tai Chi, you have push hands. Yep. There, there's your style and my style meet and we're doing push hands and we get to find out who's got the ability to hold upright equal. And so anyway, I love truth in our medicine. You yeah, know? I, I agree. And that's the litmus test, right? Is when you put these things up and they, and they do have to have, that is the, I think that's sort of the thing we have to look at. And unfortunately, you know, it's, I, it's, I feel bad for these people. You know, I, I know you've seen these videos where they've got, you know, the, the Qigong master on, you know, YouTube or something who's, who's doing something where he's, he hasn't uh, been tested physically maybe ever, you know, and, they, and they've got this idea that, that what they're doing is going to have some effect outside. And then you bring in some just seasoned fighter who comes in and just, you know, dismantles them. And it's, for right. me, it's always difficult right. to watch because I'm like, oh, I feel bad for the person for one, you know, that they, they that they, they're in this really crummy position now. And two, yeah. it's like, ah, you know, that there's a, that's a blind spot that, that could have been, avoided if there's a certain amount of reality that's brought in. And I think that's the martial arts do that really, really well. When you, when we had that conversation years back, was that when you jumped into the green forest temple? Is that when you started and you started and that was Chen style Tai Chi. That was, what else was it? Was it uh, Uh, a Muslim long fist? Uh Uh-huh. And was there anything else? Oh, there's there's a ton of stuff, but I, I really only did, a, you know, a, a Chinese sword form, the Miao Dao. Uh-huh. I did Chen style Tai Chi. I did the eight, the eight stances, which are kind of like a muscle tendon changing practice. Uh-huh. And then I did the basic lines. And the basic lines at that time were all from the uh, Islamic long fist forms. 
Got it. And so, and a shout out to Scott Ripke, if he's listening to this, who, who's the owner of Green Forest yeah. Temple. Um, yep. And when you <laughs> when you did that, what was your take? Like going from, okay, going from the, you know, uh, soft sort of restorative healing aspects of Qigong. And then when you jumped into that, what shifted? Because I mean, I know my words wouldn't have landed had you not done it. You know, you, you had to have the well, experience. So I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I've, I just, this is something, there was a time in our lives where I really wanted you to like see things the way I see them. And then I just, <laughs> I just realized you and I have different constitutions in terms of our bodies, sure. but like, I like the first Tai Chi that I learned that that you also practice and teach is Wu Mm -hmm. style. And it's a very compact, very small frame. And it, it over time, it drives me crazy because I thrive in fascial spiraling ringing out of the tissues Mm -hmm. is what brings a greater degree of movement of energy in my emotional body and and my, in my mind. Otherwise I get, I get stagnant. Mm. You tend to, in my opinion, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you thrive on small movements that are very kind to your body and that are very, you know, they're just like, that's like a medicine for you. And it is for me too. But if it's too much of that, I go crazy. Yeah, for sure. And so when I get to do Chen and drop the hammer and, and then, you know, and I get to spiral and let my spine ripple. Yeah. The, the, the freedom of life force in my body and the free flow of emotion is far beyond anything I can get from doing Wu. Mm -hmm. And, and to get the same thing from Wu, I would have to train longer and harder and I will not enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Chen, I get it right away right away. Yeah. I, I start to feel blood flow and I, and I can go as slow as I want and then I can go fast. So for mm. me, I just, I need that uh, ability to go yang and then go back to yin and, yep. and woo, woo is like all yin, mm-hmm. even though it's so powerful. Well, you know, totally. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And so when you, when you started doing, when you started training that, uh, the more martial stuff, did you notice that um, yeah, like what, what, where was the shift? Was it kind of in mood or did you feel like your attitude or mindset? What was, it, what was different? It was everything, man. I mean, part, part of it, it was like the, the movements came from the, and it's got, but I think like my, you were more of my model as a human being because I mm, lived with you and sure. I, I saw the way I saw the way you had difficult conversations. I saw the way you leaned into life. I saw the way you called me out when I was out of integrity on something where you just, you weren't willing to overlook something or, you know, you'd call it wood realm or whatever, like my, <laughs> and so I, I felt like the, the movements got me a little more willingness to be sharp with who I was to mm. penetrate into things, mm. to not be such a nice guy and want to please everybody. Oh, I see. And also to be willing to face when, when people came at me in life, and challenged me or criticized me to stand in that and face it in a different way. Yeah. Beautiful. The same way, same way you face it when you're doing a form, like you're, you're put, you're pushing through, you're, you're blocking, you're kicking. It's yeah. all, you're, you're, you're moving energy in a different, totally different way. Yeah. For me. Agreed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Similar threads for me too. So I was just curious. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Cool. Um, I was going to ask you to talk about this, but you pretty much touched on it is like the other concept that I really got from you is the ability to see 
other people's level of connectedness, internal connectedness. I, when you first talked about that, I didn't know what you were talking about. And then you would like, oh my God, I'd show you a video and I'd be like, man, this is, this is awesome. And you'd be like, oh my God, that guy is so internally connected. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a specific question. Yeah. What, when someone performs a martial art at a high level and they're required to have all of these biomechanical, energetic, internal connections, what is the health benefit of that? Mm. Well, the, the alignments that make you, that give you physical strength are the same ones that are going to, yeah, it goes back to that alignment thing that we kind of talked about. Yeah, it's like the, if, you, if you have good body mechanics to push something heavy, those same mechanics turning the volume down where you're not pushing anything are still going to be... Uh, they're still going to bring integrity to the joint. They're still going to they're going to optimize the function of that joint. So, you know, our our joints and our bodies have a range of motion. Some joints are ball and socket. Some are hinge. So you have to play to the the strengths of those. And I think when you play to the strengths of those, for one, then then you're not getting excess stress on joints. You're not putting undue pressure on the knee joint. You're not putting undue pressure on the ankle joints. And in the end nobody gets out alive, like the body is going to eventually break down. But the more we can move in a way where we don't put excessive stress onto our joints and onto onto our structure, this is the benefit. It, this is it's a it's a it's a gesture towards longevity. You, you mm-hmm. don't want to break down our connective tissue. You know, when you look at the the Wudong styles and these guys, the muscle, muscle tendon changing exercises, it's to lengthen and stretch the connective tissue. It's to make the, t- the connective tissue through the hand and through these, through the limbs, very elastic. That's the whole point. You know, when, when the tendon lengths, when the, our tendons collectively throughout the whole system start to do this as we get older, right? This is why we slouch and posture goes down. We have to lengthen those tendons. And when we practice um, for structure and strength, that's facilitated. I mean, that's part, that's part of it. You know, that's why these... Those Wudang guy, Wudang guys who are so small are so strong. You know, they're they're not big mm-hmm. people, but they're able to elicit tremendous power out of their body mm-hmm. because their tissues are elastic. So I think the more we can kind of you know work towards treat, treating our tissues like a rubber band that can be stretched but not snapped, the better off we are. That's the health benefit. Mm-hmm. It just makes the body more pliable. And then the meridians, you know, that's you know the the blood flow, the circulation through all the channels moves considerably better. So mm-hmm. information information goes through the body easier. Yeah. Love it. There's just less resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Considerably yeah. less resistance. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So this is this is. I don't know how much time we're gonna have. Let me see what I want to pick out here. I mean, yeah. one, one thing I was one thing I I put down in my notes to talk about is like another thing that you and I have explored through heartbreak and challenge is what I call broken lineages. You know, like yeah. on on one hand, martial arts revere someone who carries a lineage. Yes. who has an unbroken chain all the way back to their teachers. Yeah. Um, all the way. And at the same time, sometimes those lineages are filled with some type of like shadow. There, there's like, because it's almost, it's it just because it's been one thing and everybody follows everybody else. There's also like mistakes. There's lack of emotional healing that's done yeah. from teacher to teacher. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen that breaking in our generation. Mm-hmm. In our generation, it's becoming part of being a great martial artist or Qigong teacher is doing your own healing work on yourself. Yes. And so, so anyway, I, I just was like, I just wanted to kind of riff with you about this idea of like, because I, I recently have come back around to this. So like uh, my dad was just in the hospital and he's 86 and 
they did a swallowing study on him. And they found out that every time he swallows, there's food particles and liquid going into his lungs. And that causes pneumonia eventually. And you can do all the antibiotics you want, but if there's food particles and liquid that's not supposed to be in there, it's going to turn to phlegm, it's going to turn to pneumonia. Now, the speech therapist comes in and has him doing all these exercises that if I didn't know any better, I would say it's Qigong or yoga. Yeah. You know, close your mouth, circle your tongue 36 times this way, 36 times this way. Now put your tongue between your lips and your teeth, circle it this way, circle it this way. Take a deep breath, hold it, blow out real slow through a tiny hole in your lips and keep the seal. I'm like, oh my God. So So on one hand, I thought to myself, for people like my father and people out there that aren't going to study martial arts for their whole life, it would be really useful if there were like a, a simple form that stretched every fascial line that worked your tongue and the, the base of the tongue to keep your swallowing going, you know, all that stuff. It, it, like, it would prevent so much suffering to have something like that out there, you know. A hundred percent. That's where the lineage comes in handy because that stuff's been tested for thousands of years and it's complete. Yes. Like they get how to make a complete system. So yeah. anyway, do you think lineages are doing more, more harm or more good right now? I think it's relative. I really do. Like most things in life, I think lineages are, are instrumental in the sense that without lineages, we wouldn't be studying Chinese medicine right now. As, as chopped up as it is and as diluted as it may be or not as ideal or as perfect as we would like it to be. I think that lineages are absolutely critical for the information to be passed down. I think we're at a really funny juncture right now in human history where technology has has made everything, there's so much information accessible that it's made the mind a little frenetic. There's, we can constantly be mentally masturbated by anything we want at any second. We, we can, <clears throat> right now, if I was, you know, wanting to, I could cross fact check something you've just said on my phone and I could just go into my little world and just start pulling up YouTube videos and whatever. So I think lineages were really critical, especially in the analog era before the digital era. That was the technology. It was an oral technology that we essentially just kept passing on. So it was really instrumental in getting the information here and now. And now that it's here and the technology era is here, I think there's a really strong divide because we don't know how to bridge the two yet. And I I personally think like human beings in general, I think in an ideal world, if I could wave a wand, I would say spirituality and technology should never supersede one another. They should move together. Like, and I think fundamentally we're just all technology and spirituality, like true understanding of self and relationship to plant medicines like ayahuasca and these kinds of things are fully just, they're, they're lower. We've just got this, all this tech that we're, that we're doing. So in the context of this lineage question, I think lineages are like really important to get information here and they've gotten it here. But nowadays I think it's going to change because we have so much, so much technology. The information is going to spread so much faster. And with that, the arts have to adapt. I think that like they have to, like that's kind of what it boils down to. I think lineage is good and bad um, because it can be overly dogmatic. You know, this, I know this, we can study stuff right now. And people are like, you, it might be a living tradition, but they're like, you've got to spend, you know, 15 years doing it this way to really right. get it. And I hear that. And that might be true fully. And I also am hearing that and saying, well, there's a, there's a stronger likelihood that that tradition is going to die too. If we, if we right. just, right. if we only lead with that. 
So then it kind of comes down to how do we, you know, not innovate, but yeah, like how do we extract simpler concepts from, from that thing and make it more accessible? And I think it is possible. I just think we haven't spent time, um, really formulating how to do that. And I think that's kind of yeah. where you and I find ourselves and, you know, with, with some of this stuff, cause there's like, boy, you know, I've got a little girl. Some people have two or three kids and it's like, that's, yeah. I'm not going to a mountain. I'm my, right. my mountain is that little girl, you know? <laughs> so right. I've right. got to, I've got to stay here right. and access it another way. Yeah. 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 I feel you on that. I, that's like a, that's something that I feel in my like Cause my, like, I, like, I've gotten a little bit away from my true life purpose, which I like, I know that I'm a librarian. I'm, I'm, I, I, my parts, my job on this planet is to keep Taoist practices alive mm-hmm. so that when, when the, when they're needed, they're still available to humanity. Yeah. When, you know, when the, when the solar flare knocks out everything or when a new, a new problem is found in the human body. There's already a practice likely in the Taoist canon that will heal it, will solve it, will to tap into some potential that we don't even know we have yet. Yeah. And well, I, I've already seen that again and again, like the breathing that I teach is like, it is the best way to retone your, your, your vagal system, which is what balances you between fight or flight and rest and digest. And it, it's right there in the Taoist tradition It's right there. Yeah. The breath works available. So anyway, um, okay. Um, wow. Let's see how much time you think we got left, Greg? We got about 15 minutes. We, start to wrap? we got, we got 15 okay. minutes. Yeah. 15 solid 15. Okay. Um, cool. Um, if you could only practice one, one exercise, if you could only practice one, we've had this, this oh, debate man. before. If you could only eat one style of food for the rest of your life. Oh man. Uh, what, and now you're saying you could pick, you could pick, you are could you pick s- beak room. You could, you could pick, yeah, you know, whatever you want. And are but you, you can only do one. That's and so you're not you're not saying like one exercise. You're like saying one system, right? Like one martial art. One system, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, um, boy, that's a loaded question. That's a tough one for me. I, I, I was, yeah. oh man, it's so hard for me to answer. I'll say this. I would say Bagua. And it's the one I have, it's the one I have the least experience with technically, but what I can say is this, and that's hard for me to say that I would choose Bagua. Um, so for me, that's kind of like an internal knowing to a degree. Shingy is amazing. And I love Shingy. I love it. I mean, it's amazing. And it's so damn important for straight line building structure, power, such an amazing fighting art too. love it. Tai Chi. Absolutely, 100% love it. I teach it. I mean, I'm deeply passionate about it. And I still have an internal fire for understanding Bagua and the practice of Bagua because when I've touched Bagua and I get an exercise um, within the spectrum of Bagua and I do it, quote unquote, right or closer to right, the therapeutic relief that my body gets is faster than what I get from Xingyi and it's faster than what I get from Tai Chi. Both are tremendously therapeutic. But Mm -hmm. even in my Mm -hmm. limited exposure with just a little bit of yeah. a bagua it's i'm like damn if i if i really was able to you know train with somebody who was really fully fledged in this system i think that would be my my go to you know and i think some people listening to yeah. that are that are bagua that don't know what bagua is it's a it's a martial art an internal martial art characterized by circle walking and spiraling movements essentially so twisting of the torso twisting of the limbs um twisting of the tissues i mean it's it's really 
all the internal arts are predicated on spirals coming from the inside out, but Bagua really exemplifies it and it's beautiful. And there's, and it's got all that stuff built into it. You know, the I Ching energetics and all of that cool, oh, yeah. amazing it's, stuff. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a bottomless pit, dude. It's it amazing. Is. Yeah. It is. Love. It's absolutely yeah. bottomless. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. All right. So the next, next thing is I was talking about one of the things that I, um, that I love about my life, and I think you have this in your life, is like most people out there, when they go to practice something, they turn on a video or they put their headphones in, they're listening to a guided meditation or a guided practice, or they go to a class. Yeah. And they almost, they rarely, if ever, do they just practice from their own internal guidance of like, okay, I have all these forms in me Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to the practice space and I'm just going to let what wants to come through me, come through me in terms of what I need right now. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, I think I just wanted to ask you like, what's the, what's your experience of following a predetermined form versus just letting your body guide you into whatever movements feel right? Like you might do some shingy fire, fire, you know, fire punching or whatever those are. And then you might move into a, an exercise from something else. Like, do you, do you ever allow yourself to practice in more of a spontaneous fashion? And if so, what's the value in that? Yeah. Yeah. I call it spontaneous movement. And I'm sure that's not a, you know, an original term. I think there are probably other people that have used it, but absolutely. I think in the end, that's the beauty of approaching the martial arts from a principle based approach, as opposed to a form based approach. I think principle is way more adaptable and and I think actually more aligned with truth. So I think in the end, I think the foundational exercises of sticking to a structured form are to, are to build a mechanic into your body. And then once you can feel that mechanic, I think it behooves you absolutely to uh, make it spontaneous, make it dynamic, switch gears. Because, I mean, if, if you're, again, this kind of goes back to the whole point of why martial arts are important. In real time, if you're in real actual conflict, emotional or physical with somebody, it's a highly adaptable, quick moving kind of thing. You, you've got to be on your toes and being, you have to be able to adapt the movement. So I think it's, it's better, um, you know, in my estimation, to fully s- explore spontaneous movement fully, but maintaining principle. You know, don't, don't break down the spontaneous movement to where it compromises joint function or, or it can hurt your body. Because um, that could happen in a fight because you're in a fight, you know, so there's no need to like make that more of a possibility. So I think as long as you approach from principle, but it's absolutely important. And I think it's good for your mind too, because the mind isn't linear. You know, we have, we can think in a linear way, but for the most part, the mind is just this one big antenna. So I think when you let things be abstract, a little more formless, a little more spontaneous, I think it's absolutely critical. And I think it's therapeutic too. I think that's where you can get into like the, the shamanic or therapeutic side of the arts too. When you just let your body, unwind like it does in cranial sacral therapy yep. or whatever yeah. yeah tremendously cool tremendously important <laughs> cool okay so uh i'm gonna this is gonna be my last question if we have more time i have a couple more but sure. this is the one i want to make sure i get in sure all right so gray i want you, i want you to imagine gray that you um you're coming near the end of your life and you have left you everything you've wanted to accomplish, you've accomplished. You've written the books, you've made the documentaries, you've made the learning courses, you've done everything you've done. And you're you're just laying there and you're getting ready to make a conscious transition. Mm-hmm. Your your daughter's okay, everything everything's everything's good. And 
just get yourself in that mindset for a second. Okay. And coming into the room is someone you love deeply and care about you. And they, they, they look a little bit disturbed and they say, Gray, I'm really sorry, but something happened and your all of your books, all of your material has been destroyed. It's gone. And because you're so recognized, we've got a film crew right now and we've got like five minutes for you to give a final transmission. Like what, what is the wisdom you want to leave people with on this planet? So you, 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 you got, you got, we got a minute or two to summarize the core elements of what you want to leave for Teal and for humanity to learn from your wisdom. What, what would you tell people? Why didn't you just ask me something hard, Kai? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a hell of a question. That is a hell of a question. It's supposed to be fun. No, it's a great, it's a great question. Let me think about that. You know, boy. I would say our greatest currency is the, is the, is the, is the company we keep. So that would be the first thing is that I think, okay. yeah, the, I think that would be like the first line. It's like all my stuff was lost. I know for a fact I would still feel very rich in spirit given the connections I have with people. So, and I think that I think I would tell my people in that minute and say, look, your greatest currency is pretty much the, the love and friendship you have with people. Like that's, that's number one, because okay. I think ultimately that's what moves the spirit of people and that's what leaves the mark. And in that sense, I think if we do that well, we all have a little bit of that, what they would call the immortal energy is present because mm -hmm. it's always there. You know, we leave the mark and I think that's the imprint. Um, I think it's our, personally, I think it's our good deeds. I mean, I think it's, it's the quality of characters what leaves the impression for people. They're like, damn, that guy was a good guy. Yeah, he was a good cook and yeah, he could do these things, but it's like he was a good person or she was a good person. I think that's the mark. So I think I would feel, mm -hmm. I'd definitely be like, bummer, you know, and I'd probably take a shot of whiskey before I exited and be like, well, you know, say <laughs> la vie, like I did, you know, my books are gone. But I would also, I would feel pretty confident in telling people that it wouldn't matter as much as if I had made the, the good marks on people. If I made the good marks on people right. and, and had the, the friendship, the bond and the laughter, like that's the currency I feel like I'll be able to take with me anyway. Like that's the stuff that will have like yeah. fueled me and made me happy. Um, so I, I think, I think that, um, and to keep things simple, God, keep simple, simple wins out most everywhere in life. I think, I think, I think simple in movement. I think simple in, you know, cooking. I think simple simplicity in friendships you know, when it, when it's not too complicated, when it's, when I've, I've said this, when I can meet someone shallow and deep in the same conversation, you know, where you and I can go fully deep in a hangout and we can go fully <laughs> shallow into midget and fart jokes and it's all perfect under the sun, you know, it's like, like that's keep it simple. You know, we don't have to complicate it or make it one way. So I think simplicity and then, you know, valuing your currency with people, I think is, I think the best and gets the mark that will leave like the greatest mark and people will remember you for that. And hopefully some of, you know, what I had would be transmitted through that. So, I love that, man. That's, yeah. that's like my favorite question to ask people. <laughs> so that was great. Yeah. It's a tough yeah. one. There's definitely pieces in there. Yeah. I, I've literally, I've asked certain people that question and it's literally brought them into a new direction in their career. Yeah. Uh, that helped them like really understand like what, what they want to teach and what they're really all about. So I, I love that. I also think it's cool because in, you know, Chinese culture, there's this concept of guanxi, which is the concept of relationships. Mm. And, in, and in, in its 
in its most negative aspect, it's nepotism, it's, it's corruption, it's greasing the wheel with money. It's, you know, it's like big business, you know, it's like kind of guys hooking guys up with stuff and sweeping stuff under the rug. You know, it's like, that. It's, and it's, but on the, on the best side, it's about the currency of relationships. Uh. It's, 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 it's about building relationships. It's about bringing tea to your Tai Chi teacher every time. It's about you don't hand in money straight up. You put it in a red envelope because because it, it's like it's a gift. It's not even it's not a, it's not dirty money. It's a gift in this beautiful envelope with double happiness on it or whatever you know. Right. And I learned so much from the Chinese about relationships. Yeah. Um, so I, lo- I love that you said that, and it, it's 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 truly a hallmark of who you are, like high integrity good communicator um and the thing i miss the most about you and in life in general is like having those people that can meet me on the shallow and the deep equally yeah Uh, so i love that thank you for reminding me it's like yeah that's like i have friends that can just i have friends that can just go deep i have friends that are more on the shallow and having both in the same person like is is really epic oh really epic i i agree i think for me you know i've had I just did a video yesterday I released on Facebook and it was about, you know, dealing with anxiety and actually having quality friendship as one of your tools to combat anxiety. And I've said this before, I just like you, I've got friends that I can just, just go shallow with where it's just a constant sarcasm and it's always just laughing and jokes. And that's just kind of where we are able to meet. And then I've got some, like you said, who are just really just deep and that can get a little heavy, but I would say my best friendships like the one, the ones that are the most natural and the most ease and that I feel the most nourished by is when those both pieces are together. We can just fully, you know, we can, we can poke fun at each other a little bit, but then we can drop in about um, something we're struggling with or like some higher universe reality that we're contemplating that we're like, what do you think about this? What do you think about, you know, the Area 51 aliens and, you know, Bob Lazar and like yeah, what the yeah. hell is happening over yeah. there? And then we can go into and just the, the soup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't. Don't forget about the Master Joe strain of cannabis, right? <laughs> Never forget right. about that. Oh, my God. How could I forget? <laughs> how could I forget? <laughs> oh, that, that so would have worked. Oh, so would have worked. That would have been great. Yeah, we should, we should give that oh. just a, a quick context. Kai, Kai had studied. He had Master Joe, who's like a world-famous Qigong practitioner, stay at our house. Who's a, he's a Bagua practitioner. He's just a little wizard. And... Kai and I got into this conversation about, I mean, how did it really, it was about basically saying we were going to get him. We first first started talking about how when you grow cannabis indoors, it's really susceptible to the energy of the, of the person growing it, which is usually paranoia, right? Because they don't want to get caught. They're growing in a garage. It's, it's artificial light. And so we were just saying that when we, when we used cannabis that came from uh, outdoor growing, it was a completely different experience of medicine than the paranoia of like the trapped cannabis. That's right. Yeah. And so we went from that and we said, Oh my God, what if we gave master Joe, a little <laughs> plant, a cannabis plant, had him walk Bagua around it. Oh, and he totally. just zapped it with all of, his, all of his happy energy, all of his Bagua, and then we just kept, you know, every month we'd come and put a new plant. <laughs> you just rotate the plant. Like he's going to walk around this one today. He'd right. be doing his thing. And, right, right. Uh, put your, put your... That, that would be that. 
Yeah, totally. Put your Yoda energy into the cannabis plant so we can <laughs> circulate this and up the vibration of the planet. This was our master plan, which exactly. I think still has still has weight yep. personally. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's a that's um. There's actually a guy to just wrap this up with something that may be actually valuable to the people listening. Is like, <laughs> um, there's a guy in Oregon who. Um, you know, when they grow cannabis, often what they do is they set it up, even when they grow it outside, they're like, they're putting, you know, they're making the soil really rich and they're like protecting it and this and that. And what this guy said is that kind of cannabis is never going to be medicinal because it, it, it's not forced to adapt to its environment. Uh-huh. So what this guy was doing, this guy's an amazing permaculturist. So what he was doing is he would take a bunch of different cannabis seeds and he would plant them all in like a, an area of his property that was quite harsh. And he would only pass forward the strains that survived. Oh, wow. And he, and he was saying that, that cannabis is truly medicinal, you know, wow. because it's, it's, it's had to adapt. Right. And it, it he, almost puts it into that adaptogenic category a little bit. Exactly. Wow. Because it, in order for it to produce a different spectrum of cannabinoids and all, all all that stuff. It needs to it needs to struggle a little bit, and the main stuff that's being produced is has no struggle. There's right. no struggle in most of it. It's got a cush life. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. No, I love it. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. Well, Kai, thank you for having me as a guest on my own show. This was fun for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good to drop in with you, man. It's like just like hanging out like old times. I hope people get a lot out of it, and I, I really enjoyed um, dropping in with you, Greg. Thanks for yeah. letting me uh, turn the mic back on you. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate the request, and um, yeah, man. Thanks for your time as always. All the contributions that you're doing with all of your good work, man. I keep up. You know, I, I know we don't always get to talk as much as we would like, but I, I track all your shit and I watch all of it, and I'm always like, you know, you're doing a good job. So keep it up. Thanks, man. Right now, it's all about healing Papa Bear. So it's big <laughs> natural natural medicine for cancer is right. It's my main focus right now. Yeah, so. yeah, man. Yeah. Blessings and Godspeed to all you guys. All right, buddy. We'll take care. All right, later, Greg. Thanks okay. a lot. Bye.